Anthony Urcioli filling in for Scott Thompson. Coming up on the podcast, hundreds of Swoop Airlines passengers forced to spend the night in Hamilton if they're lucky after their flight was grounded. What happened? We'll get clarity from two of the passengers, Holly and Danielle. Should Canadian vets be calling out the Calgary Stampede? The awful event is beginning. We'll talk to Camille Labchuk, Executive Director of Animal Justice. Also, backlash emerging online as CBC tweeted out a video for their Drag Kids documentary. We'll talk to Jennifer Thompson of Roots and Wellness, who is an expert in this field, and hear what she has to say. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We were hearing about Swoop in the airport and someone throwing something into the engine and all these issues and someone getting injured, and it was just a mess of information. I think now we're it's just after 12 i think we've been able to collect ourselves and at least nail down what's going on so quick background uh hundreds of swoop airlines passengers were forced to spend the night in hamilton after their flight was grounded uh swoop spokesperson karen mckisaac says they received a report that someone threw something into the plane's engine while boarding the Vegas-bound plane at Hamilton Airport at around 8 last night. Um, Kazik says the flight was cancelled so a mechanical inspection could be performed. Um, she added that no object was found during the inspection and the plane was found to have no mechanical issues. So, great. Moving on. Well, no, because then a flight attendant needed uh, medical attention Unrelated to the incident, and a replacement flight attendant was brought in to mitigate any impact on the departure. Uh, Swoop apologized. They offered uh, affected travelers accommodation, meal, transportation vouchers. Um, An airline says travelers that wish to cancel can do so for a full refund. I have some uh, uh, comments here from Karen McIsaac, who is the Swoop spokesperson. So uh, this is her talking about the reimbursement for the passengers. Well, she's welcome to um, reach out to our contact. Let me add team. context first. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll swoop in. Let me let me go to the phones first and then I'll play these because I think these comments are in response to um, who we're about to talk to now. We're going to bring on to the show Holly and Danielle. Are, are you two together? Yes, we are. Yeah. On speaker, I'm assuming. Yes. All right. Um yeah, so I have comments from the Soup spokesperson. I think they are responding to you specifically, Holly. So that's why I want to talk to you first. So give me some background here. You're just two passengers looking to go to Vegas, right? Yes. Well, we're going to Vegas. Um, our friend is getting married. They actually flew out of Toronto, Pearson, with uh, Air Canada. So they're there currently. And we were flying out of Hamilton because it was more convenient. And uh, now we're not there. Yeah. So you are you are you do you live in Hamilton? Um, I actually live in Brantford. Okay. So you came here because you thought it would be more convenient. So let me. Did, did you hear my intro at the top of the show? Just kind of the story we have. Uh, maybe just your point here. So the the I guess it all started when someone supposedly threw something into the engine. Did you hear that? Um, yes, we heard. We didn't hear it actually happen, but we were on board, and um, as soon as immediately when we got on the plane, we were hit by like a wave of heat. It was very uncomfortable. So it was really hot on the plane. It was extremely hot. It oh. was, apparently, we were told that the air conditioning was not working, and um, so we were sitting out in thirty degree weather in this cooped up plane with a bunch of people on it, oh, gosh. and it was like hitting a brick wall of heat. And then um, we were when I sat down, I actually had the the seat of um, right in front of the engine of the left side where it supposedly happened. 
Okay. And I saw them all circulating and going in the engine and out of the engine. And someone who's a little bit more of a scared flyer was like, oh, that doesn't look good to me. <laughs> no, I might have been out of there once I saw yeah. that. <laughs> so um, I was watching it and I started to take pictures and film it and send to our friend being like, we, oh, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then they came over the PA system and said that um, one of the crew members had heard a funny noise coming from the left engine. So they were looking into it and they were looking around on the floor and in the engine. And, and then um, we were in there for just under an hour and it was extremely hot. People were pouring sweat. People were trying to get off the, the, the plane. The heart condition trying to get off the plane. Yeah. Did, and did you guys take videos us. of the sweaters? Yes. Okay, I figured. I thought, I mean, at least get some, some video out of it. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, all right. I mean, I, I, I'm, I hate flying to begin with. I hate being around too many people. So this all sounds like an absolute nightmare already. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So did you act, you didn't, uh, the idea that someone threw something into the engine, is it because someone saw someone throw it or they just heard a noise at something? Like, I don't understand how that even started that someone threw something into the engine. Well, I'm not quite sure. I did see a police officer taking um, notes from one of the crew okay. members, so I think it was him that that actually heard it or saw it. Okay. But, um, but if you look at where you board a flight, um, like the the ramp up into the plane, mm-hmm. it's a pretty significant distance away from the engine. So I don't know which passenger would even get close enough to be able to do that. Right. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me when I heard it. Okay. Well, yeah, I I agree. So so now you're you're on the plane. You're waiting for like an hour, uh, they're, they're trying to get the engine thing worked out. Then what happens? Well, the the flight attendant started passing around water, and um, she herself didn't look too hot. And then she looked quite hot. <laughs> well, <laughs> very, hot, very hot, actually. Yes. Um, and then five minutes later, she walked past us in tears with an ice bag on her neck um, with heat exhaustion, apparently passed out. And... Um, then they took her off in a wheelchair and we were all extremely hot at this point. Like it was, it was insane. And then probably about another 10 minutes after she was let off, they told us that we had to leave because the, the heat inside the plane was too extreme. Oh my gosh. Okay. So fire trucks around and and ambulances and yeah, it was, what a mess. And all you're trying to do is take a nice little trip to Vegas. That's you, you got up, you got ready, you went to the airport expecting we're going to have just a maybe I'll sleep on the plane and exactly. then we'll we'll, get we'll ready for it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to Vegas and we'll use all our energy up there. Uh so then there's a delay with the flight attendant. Then I guess you have to wait for her replacement or his or her replacement to show up, I'm assuming. Yeah. And so there's another delay. So how long was this delay? Well, I guess it's still kind of delayed. Yeah, we're well. We're not um, scheduled to fly out now till six thirty tonight. So a full twenty four hours later. And when's the wedding? It was today. <gasps> oh no, you missed the wedding. Yeah, we missed it. Uh, did you plan on we'll spending the weekend it, at yeah. least? Uh, yeah, we'll be going there till um, Sunday night. But, well, uh, if, I mean, if neither of you are already married, they, I hear they have like drive through wedding chapels in Vegas. <laughs> could get some kind well, of wedding out of it. The consideration. <laughs> All right. Um, so at least you get a weekend in Vegas. So did you have to like text or call the, the, and the thing is too, the bride and the groom, they're, they're getting married and I'm, you know, it's not like you can just call them and say, Hey, we're going to be late. Did you notify anybody that you weren't going to make it? Yeah. We've already been on, um, communications with them over, um, what's happened. They are, they're fully aware of what's going on, unfortunately, but, um, they're trying to make us a uh, part of it all still. Okay. Well, that's nice. Footage. 
All right. Well, I mean, look at what you've gone through just to get there. Uh, they could at least appreciate that. And uh, okay, so now you are just up back home now. Are you like in a hotel somewhere? Did they did the did the airline offer you any kind of vouchers or just something for your trouble? So if you lived in the area, you didn't get anything. If you lived out of the area, you would get a hotel room. Well, hang on, hold hold on. If you live in the area, you didn't get anything. Well, you get a ten dollar voucher, but you'd have to stand in line with all the people trying to yeah. organize their hotel, which was like an hour for ten dollars at eleven thirty at night. It doesn't seem like I want to go home and sleep. Yeah, a ten dollar so, voucher to anything is not going to make up for what you guys went not. through. And it was a food voucher, so you like you know. Yeah. If you have any kind of intolerance to food like I do, their whole menu I can't eat. So. Well, not only that, but I mean, food at an airport isn't cheap as it is. $10 yeah, might exactly. get you like a bagel or something. Yeah, or water. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's not fun. So you're going out and, uh, I mean, obviously you guys, have you have you two been able to, you know, calm down a little bit? Were you angrier before? I mean, we were, I was more upset with the lack of communication. I, right. I was tweeting at them for, and didn't hear about, like I was the only person they responded to apparently. And um, it was three hours after the delay. So um, even the the screen that was giving us information said that our flight had actually departed. Like it was not like, for me, I would l- rather be told, yo, this isn't gonna, we're not gonna fly out tonight, go home, sleep, and we'll figure it out. But just waiting there and not knowing what's going on, it's, probably the worst and there was rants and riots and people like causing like um yeah, i could imagine yeah major commotion major right? people were screaming and getting <laughs> really upset did about you get it. that on tape at least i didn't get that one no <laughs> we moved seats to get closer to the action to watch but uh, we didn't think that i mean that would that would have made some good radio if you would have had that on hand <laughs> oh it would have been great it it been been you know what you wouldn't have been able to play a lot of <laughs> for sure <laughs> okay so the plan is so coming home now are you still flying home with swoop yes we are Okay. And they, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess what can they do at this point? I, I do have, I think, uh, Karen McIsaac, who's the spokesperson for Swoop, I believe she, uh, there's something here that, and she's directly commenting on your experience. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to hear it on the phone. Will you? Okay. Yeah, we can. I'll play it and, and you can, you can listen to it. Okay. Well, she's welcome to um, reach out to our contact Swoop team, um, who will assess those, those cases on an individual basis. That's it. Um, well, we did reach out to them, and I haven't heard anything. I reached out to them this morning at about okay. um, seven a.m. So. All right. Well, and there's there's more here. But well, while you're here joining me, I mean, you guys got nothing else to do for the rest of the day. So no, you, we're you just hanging out. <laughs> we'll just co-host the show together. Uh, so here here's more from Karen McIsaac. We'd like to sincerely apologize to our travelers for the interruption in their travel plans. However, safety will always be at the forefront of our decision making. Um, and also, in addition, we uh, wanted to just mention that all affected travelers uh, were deplaned after the boarding process there, provided accommodation, meal, and transportation vouchers as needed. And, of course, those that wish to cancel were able to do so for a full refund. Comments? Um, well, we were told that if you lived in the area, you didn't get any of those things except for the $10 voucher. So. Mm. And why would we want to stay in a hotel? So, like, from a compensation perspective, <laughs> yeah. um, you just want things to be made right. So, unfortunately, we had to forfeit a very expensive hotel in Las Vegas on a July 4th long weekend. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right? On top of the wedding, we're burning a vacation day, which mm. you can quantify into dollars lost. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, so, and you're missing, so one-third of our vacation is gone. Um, right. So, I mean, it's kind of like a slap in the face. We were just more so looking for them to make things right, and I'm, I, I don't think they did that. 
All right. Fair enough. Uh, Holly and Danielle, thanks so much for doing this. I, I hope the rest of your weekend is a little bit better. If you do get married, make sure you call us back. <laughs> I'll let you know that would be a good story. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. Okay, Take care. All right. Holly and Danielle, I can't even. I am so – I hate every everything involved in airplane travel. People love traveling. I don't even. I think if it wasn't for the plane part of it, I might like traveling a little more. I don't like having to be there three hours early. I don't like going through security, especially if you're flying to the states. Now, and and this is true, and anyone that's traveled with me can uh, can vouch for it. I get flagged at security every single time, and I've been questioned as if I am. And I listen. It's a. I'd be offended if I was someone of Arab descent or Middle Eastern because um, I have a look. I have darker features, maybe a little darker under my eyes. I mean, being Italian, there's sometimes it's tough to to tell the difference. I, there's similar features. I, you know, I have the beard and everything, um, and I've just been like questioned by security almost every time I go through. I think I don't know if I have a flag somewhere on my passport. I don't know what the deal is, uh, but I get borderline interrogated every time and it's these questions about my if i've been to the the middle east and all these odd questions and i'm like i I mean like really and i'm not even imagine being of arab descent or being middle eastern and having to deal with that on a regular basis i i deal with it whenever i go through an airport security check uh almost every time i got chased i was i got through security and i was like well that was easy and then as i'm walking through a lady was a uh, border patrol agent was just like staring me down from across the airport and she ran toward me and so where are you from and i said canada i don't know if she was waiting to see if i had like an accent i don't know what the deal was and she said okay go ahead um so that's my experience traveling on top of the fact that i don't like traveling to begin with so you put that on top and now if people are analog- looking at the engines and i'm sitting in a hot plane for an hour and then and then the, the poor flight attendant who obviously, I mean, the flight attendant was in that heat as well. And there was some, I don't want to speculate on her medical issues, but I'm I'm going to guess it was heat related at the very least. So now, then you got to wait for the replacement. I mean, delays when you're flying are terrible, but this seems worse. Maybe the heat part is what's rubbing me the wrong way in all this. And that's not necessarily the, the airline's fault. And maybe Swoop may, maybe they will. I know. They look bad in all of this right now. And we heard from Holly and Danielle. And I played you clips from the Swoop spokesperson, uh, Karen McIsaac. So they got their word in as well, and they were able to respond. Not The stories didn't totally line up with our two travelers we just heard. And maybe Swoop will make it right, and there won't be an issue going forward. And maybe they will... uh, Because it's, you know, what Holly said was the the missing... And I get that. You're missing... Lost a, a day of work because you took vacation. Um, you lost a night in your hotel, which is expensive because it's long weekend and it's Vegas. And uh, yeah, they just want it to be made right. I think it's fair. And maybe Soup will. We don't know. Maybe we'll get an update at some point. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know, my next guest is, I, I said it off the top. I'm not just saying it because she's on hold and she can hear me. But one of my favorite people in the entire world, Camille Labchuk, Executive Director of Animal Justice, and she joins us now. Hi, Camille. 
Hey, Anthony. Thanks for the kind words. Yes. Well, you do you do the work that uh, I wish we could all do, but don't have the intelligence or the, the work ethic to do what you do. Um, before, actually, before I get into what we're going to talk about here, although it's unfortunate, as I mentioned that I really like talking to you, but every time we talk, it means something bad is happened or is going to happen to animals. So that's kind of the dark cloud over our conversations all the time. Um, but I do want people to know, and in case they haven't heard Camille or don't know, uh, her story you you didn't intend to get into this profession of defending animals at least that wasn't the initial goal was it well i initially started my career i thought i would be a clinical neuropsychologist for a long time i almost went to grad school for that and then i worked in politics and i saw the power of using the law to help animals so i thought if i want to have a career trying to help the most vulnerable why don't i try law school and you're a sent you're an animal lawyer that's right. I'm an animal rights lawyer. I try to give animals a voice in our legal and political systems, which they wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah, when I talk, are you living in Ottawa? I am. Yeah, so Ottawa. you're right in the thick of things. And there's a lot of lobbying. I, I'm, I follow you on all the social media channels, so you're doing a lot of talking to politicians, a lot of the... Not only not hard because I think what's difficult about the work you do is that you're essentially just trying to get people to listen at some points. And sometimes, especially politicians, we don't know what their agendas are. And sometimes, you know, some of this animal welfare stuff isn't, you know, sexy enough for them to uh, put out there because they're essentially they're politicians. I mean, they're playing politics. And sometimes these topics just aren't that vote grabbing. Yeah, you know, I think one of the problems we face, it's not that people don't care about animals, it's that everyone, including politicians, assumes that the laws protecting them are already pretty solid, and certainly a lot better than they are. And uh, all it takes sometimes is just explaining to people that our animal cruelty laws haven't been updated since the 1950s, that Canada has no National Animal Welfare Act, unlike most other modernized countries. So... Yeah, I mean, politicians get it when you explain it to them, but sometimes it's a barrier to show people how bad the situation really is. And uh, it was June was a big month for uh, for animal justice. Uh, well, for, I mean, the Parliament passing the the ban on whale and dolphin captivity bill S two hundred three. That I, I mean, how long have you been putting work into that one? Oh, that was a really exciting moment. We've been supporting that bill since it was first introduced, and. Animal justice, along with a lot of other groups and individuals, have been working to make sure uh, that it saw the light of day and became law. It was fought very heavily by the aquarium industry, including marine land, but luckily the public support for it was just so strong because people really do get that keeping whales and dolphins in these tiny tanks is just completely inhumane to them. So we were pretty thrilled to see it pass. And Anthony, it was actually the first serious new animal protection law passed in Canada at the federal level. Since uh, the 1800s. Wow, and and I think and I'm just looking at uh, unless I have this incorrectly, but there were only two facilities in the country that can find whales and dolphins. It was the Vancouver Aquarium and Marineland, of course, which is just down the street. Marineland has over 50 beluga whales, five dolphins, and one orca. That is, those are a lot of uh, sea creatures that probably should not be in captivity. That's, that's right, and that's exactly what this law recognizes, is that they shouldn't be there any, anymore. Uh, one of the problems, practically, is that there isn't really anywhere for whales and dolphins to go yet. So that should change, I hope, in the near future. There's a great organization called the Whale Sanctuary Project. It's looking for sites 
in um, Atlantic Canada to build uh, the world's first whale sanctuary. So the idea is that they would net off a large cove and retired belugas, uh, dolphins, other sea creatures could go there and have much more of a natural life than they would in the, the tiny tanks and aquariums. A lot of people that um, either worked at Marine Land or defend Marine Land will always use that argument that places like that are um, preserving whales and they're you know adding to the the health and you know they're feeding them and they're they're treating them so well. And what, what do you say to that you know preservation angle that people try to use when it comes to animals in general in captivity? Yeah, you're right. That's a pretty common line that we hear from the zoo industry, from the aquarium industry. But the reality is that most animals kept in, in captivity, almost none of them are kept there for conservation purposes. That's just kind of a pretty PR line that the aquariums and zoos trot out. Uh, the reality is that they're held there for entertainment purposes because aquariums think that uh, people will pay the big bucks to see those animals. I think that's changing. I, I don't think that people are interested in paying to see that type of cruelty anymore because our attitudes are changing and evolving. And people are just looking at that type of situation and saying, I don't want to support that with my money. You know, the other uh, legislation that was passed, this one was crazy to me because I couldn't believe some of this was still a thing. And I talked about it um, a bit yesterday. Uh, Jessica Scott Reed was on with me and we were, we were discussing some of this, but uh, Parliament passes groundbreak, uh, groundbreaking bills against shark finning, bestiality, and animal fighting. Okay, shark finning, animal fighting. Bestiality wasn't already completely outlawed. I mean, there were loopholes where I'm re- th- that th- there was a loophole where it had to be penetration for it to be bestiality. It's shocking, Anthony. I mean, I know, uh, and that's that's the reaction that we, we get when people hear about this issue. They're just appalled. The problem is everyone thought that all forms of sexual abuse of animals was illegal already. Yeah. But the Supreme Court identified a legal loophole in a ruling in 2016. And the reason that they, they pointed this out is that Canada's animal cruelty laws are so old. They haven't been updated since the 1950s. And many of them haven't been changed really since the 1800s. The laws are so outdated and so old that uh, it's inevitable that there's loopholes like this. So it's good that Parliament took an action to close it, and at the same time they they took some action to tighten up the animal fighting laws too, to do things like making sure that anyone who attends an animal fight can be prosecuted or watches one online too. Oh, so even watching online can can get you into trouble. Yeah, that's right. So oh, participating good. in animal fighting in any way is now illegal. And that's, that's really good. It's a really strong measure. Dog fighting, cock fighting, it occurs regularly in this country. It's, it's an underground activity because it's illegal. So most people have no idea that it's happening. But it's not an insignificant problem. So it's good that we have some new laws to help. You know, um, well, Camille Labchuk's with us, Executive Director of Animal Justice. I think what um, at least really got me to wanting to speak to you today is that, and I didn't even know because I would never follow it, but I guess the Calgary Stampede starts today. And I'm trying to, you know, I I know people like yourself are very outspoken about the Calgary Stampede, this idea of, you know, these, the animals out there for strictly entertainment purposes and not just, we're not just watching them. I mean, they're being abused in front of our eyes and anyone that argues just, you know, uh, like calf roping animals chased, uh, roped to a sudden halt, picked up and thrown to the ground before being tied up. Um, when it comes to steer wrestling, you know, the animal has its neck twisted and forced to the ground. In fact, a steer broke its neck, had its neck snapped um, by a cowboy trying to, to steer it, and it was called accidental. 
uh, how can it be an accident when you're tugging on an animal's neck and twisting it? It just, I, I'm looking at these and I'm, people are watching and, and cheering. I mean, it al- almost seems like, uh, you know, the old times of, you know, the Roman times where people would line, you know, sit in a coliseum and watch people fight to the death. This doesn't seem any different to me. No, no, I, I think that's a great analogy, Anthony. I think it's, it's disturbing to most people. Uh, not everyone's opposed to rodeo, but over 63% of Canadians say that they're opposed. And according to the Stampede stats from a few years ago, only 16% of people who actually attend the Stampede ever go to the rodeo event. So it's really not something that most people are that interested in, in witnessing, clearly. And, and that, of course, is because of the cruelty uh, in addition to all the injuries that you point out, which are completely foreseeable when you put animals in this dangerous, violent situation, the animals are also terrified. No animal performs in in a spectator ring like this because they want to. They perform because they're afraid and they're in pain and they're induced to perform by abusive training methods. So it really is something that has no place in a modern society. Are you more surprised? I know the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association is one organization that comes under a lot of fire this time of year because um, as much as, you know, and they have um, a policy on animals being used in entertainment, uh, opposes activities, contests, or events that have a high probability of causing injury, distress, or illness, which is great. But why aren't certain veterinarian organizations more outspoken against the Calgary Stampede? Is it because it's so popular and, you know, coming out against it could be, you know, maybe troubling for them? Uh, why is our people, and why, especially around Calgary, can understand people being sensitive to it? But as a whole, why aren't vets a little more outspoken about this? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The, the Stampede is a politically powerful um, event. It's a huge event. It's really sort of definitional in Alberta and Calgary's identity of itself. And a lot of people don't want to in- incur the wrath of stampede organizers. Um, but I-, I think that veterinarians should be more vocal about this. I think that sponsors of the stampede and sponsors of rodeo events should take a stand against this cruelty as well. It's not something that most people support. And veterinarians in particular, they're, they're sworn to help animals and to improve their welfare. It's completely discordant with that vow to then participate in any way or support in any way or refuse to condemn an event that causes this type of of cruelty. Uh, There's also an argument, Anthony, that, I mean, I believe pretty strongly that rodeo events are actually illegal. Under federal law and Alberta law, it's illegal to cause unnecessary suffering and distress and harm and injury to animals. And that's exactly what stampede rodeo events do. They're, They're causing horrible injuries, suffering, death, all for the sake of entertainment, which is certainly not necessary. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, I mean, uh, you know, animals having their necks snapped because they're being tugged on too hard seems uh, seems to fit under what you just said there. Is this almost one of the cases of, you know, we talk about the fact that the Calgary Stampede is a bit of a, well, not a bit of, it is a political powerhouse, as you called it. It also kind of reminds me of these issues we fall into when, you know, we watch a movie that involve animals and we always see at the end of the movie, so I look for it. I used to anyway, but I look for that little tag at the end that says, uh, you know, the AS, uh, whatever, SPCA, ASPCA monitored this and the human rights or human, we, 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 we made sure we had someone there and we made sure the animals were treated fairly and no animals were injured and all that. And, but as we dig a little deeper, some of those organizations, it's a little flimsy because they're there. Are they there because they're working for the film crew or are they there in the best, uh, you know, for the animals? 
I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. There's been lots of pretty disturbing investigations of, uh, and I'm, I'm struggling to remember the name right now, but a Humane Something Association. It's a U.S.-based uh, private organization. That yeah, I was trying to figure it out, too. That's why I kept stumbling. <laughs> I couldn't remember the yeah. name, but I know what you're referring to. Maybe somebody Google it and tweet at us. But, uh, yeah. uh, they they have been exposed for letting some pretty serious animal injuries slide on set, and a lot of people criticize them for just being too cozy with the film industry and too cozy with the people who actually profit from animal abuse. So um, film production sets and, and, uh, and crew and so on and, and, and those things that... Uh, actually put animals in dangerous situations because they want to get that specific shot. And uh, there's there's been allegations that these people who are supposed to be overseeing this just aren't doing their job. So I would urge people just to avoid animal movies, uh, movies where animals are used in that way, and and encourage production companies to move towards CGI instead. I don't know if you saw Planet of the Apes, but that entire film, any of the the recent ones, those entire films are CGI-based, and you wouldn't even know it. Yeah, and I think the disturbing, there was that disturbing uh, video, I think it was a couple years back, I think they were filming A Dog's Purpose, and they were forcing that dog into a, a running stream of water, and the dog was terrified, trying to cling to the edges, and they essentially picked the dog up and just threw it in, and it was, not only was it on video, but one of these individuals that are there supposedly monitoring from some kind of uh, animal welfare organization were watching this unfold and said that it was fine, that the dog was was not under distress. Yeah, that's right. No one seemed to do anything about it or have any concern for the dog's well-being. It only came out because someone on set filmed that, uh, saw what happened and thought this isn't right, and they released it to uh, TMZ, I think, to Mm-hmm. which had some publicity on the issue. But, uh, you know, even the Winnipeg authorities declined to prosecute and lay charges there, even though it was very clear from anyone who watched that video and dog experts who watched that video who I've spoken with, they said that that animal was in distress. So, I don't know, I think that when it comes to animals used in entertainment, usually no one's watching, and that's why it's best for us as citizens just to avoid any form of using animals for entertainment. Because you know if they're being pro- used for profit, they're suffering somewhere down the line. Yeah, Camille, um, what kind of things are you working on with uh, animal justice now? Oh, you know, one of the big things, and this is really important to people listening in Ontario right now, is that the province is looking at bringing in a whole new animal welfare system. So the Ontario SPCA bowed out of doing enforcement. They said that because they're a private charity, they don't think it should be their responsibility, and the government should come up with a new public enforcement system. So the government's consulting on this right now. They've just launched a new cruelty hotline. I think that anyone listening who, who cares about this and cares about making sure that animal laws in this province can be enforced should really make a point of sitting down with their member of provincial parliament and telling them to put money, to put resources into a new system. Yeah, uh, and so and so th- right now there's no system in place, you're saying? There, there's kind of an ad hoc system. So the OSPCA has given up enforcement, right. and to fill the gap, the province is giving authority to some local SPCAs and humane societies. And they've also apparently set up uh, a new animal hotline and have some some folks staffing that. So this is only an interim measure. I know that they're looking at developing a new permanent system. Uh, We think that has to be a really well-funded system. Previously, the government was giving less than $6 million to uh, the OSPCA per year to do all the enforcement in the entire province. And that amount, frankly, is just a joke. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even scratch the surface. 
So it's important for us as citizens, if we care about making sure that animals aren't being abused, to ask government to put adequate resources into this. Uh, Last thing I want to ask you, um, we're going to talk later to uh, Nick Atwood, who's campaign coordinator with the Animal Rights Foundation of Florida. Uh, Florida declaring it's open season on green iguanas. They're overrun. Homeowners are now being urged by authorities to kill them. If there's iguanas in people's homes, it probably means they were pushed out of their natural habitat, doesn't it? Yeah, you know what this sounds like to me is a classic case of exotic animals escaping into the wild. Uh, because they've been kept inappropriately as pets. Mm. Uh, This happens all the time. People, because the government's laws are so lax, people can keep all these exotic animals as pets when they shouldn't be in that region, they shouldn't be kept as pets at all because they do poorly in captivity. And surprise, surprise, people sometimes just let them go because they don't want to keep them anymore. Uh, You know, the same thing happens here in Ontario sometimes. We actually don't have any exotic animal laws in this province. Uh, The only animals, Anthony, that you can't have in Ontario or an orca, because orca captivity oh. is banned, yes. and a pit bull. Oh, <laughs> you can have a dangerous tiger in your backyard. You can have an elephant. You can open up a menagerie in your, on your property if you wanted to, and it's a situation that needs to change. As long as it's not a pit bull. All right, good to know. Uh, Camille Abchuk, as always, thanks so much. And uh, again, congrats on the month you had, and good luck going forward. It was my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Anthony. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Whenever I look at that uh, what's trending on Twitter list on the sidebar there, I'm always just wincing a bit. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what's everyone upset about now? Um, Not my Ariel was one. Second one was defund CBC. I thought, no, now what? Now what happened? Well, CBC Kids, which is kind of its own entity in a way, uh, tweeted out a video. They're previewing their upcoming documentary. Uh, which is essentially kids in drag. And people were not happy. Not a good ratio, as they say in the Twitter world. A lot of comments. The majority of them focused on, you know, CBC. Why is CBC um, sexualizing children? Let's bring in the expert. Jennifer Thompson, registered psychotherapist. Uh, She's with a fabulous organization called Roots in Wellness. uh, And she kind of specializes in this sort of thing. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining me for having me. Jennifer, I, what do you think about the idea of, and, and the, you know, sexualizing children? Now, I saw the video. At no point did sexualizing pop up in my head. It's, it almost seems like a projection type thing. Um, yeah, just your, your, your thoughts on those concerns from people. Yeah, I think, I think there's kind of two different issues going on here, right? Um, you know, and people's concerns over sexualizing children, of course, you know, there's, there have been comments about, um, you know, pageant shows and that kind of thing, although certainly not as much uproar, I'll, I'll say, um, with with um, pageants, which I would argue are, you know, more se- more sexualized and sure. sexual in nature than certainly the video that you and I watch. Um, but, uh, you know, there is a concern about sexualizing children. Um, however, I, I'm not sure that, that, you know, drag or even pageants are to blame for that, Um you know, it kind of feels like we're, we're punishing people for wanting to express themselves rather than punishing the people who are sexualizing the children. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I, I agree with you that the, the drag video that I saw certainly didn't seem sexualized um, in any sense. Uh, I watched an interview with some of the kids and they talked about how it allowed them to express themselves, you know, just like any kids playing dress up would. 
Um, we do it on Halloween every year where every kid dresses up. So um, that's kind of my thought on that. Yeah, you, you deal with, and, and I mean, part of your pers- uh, profession is dealing with those, you know, concerns with uh, gender and sexuality and trans issues and coming out and drag might be in its own, well, it is in its own category, but it still kind of falls under that umbrella of you have a child who um, is, let's say they're dressing in drag and there's always that question for parents, like, how do I handle this? Do I tell them to stop? Do I kind of nurture it? How does a parent or it just maybe in your expertise in this, what's the best approach for a parent? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the argument from, from people who are sort of against this is, is always that, you know, they're too young, we shouldn't be pushing pushing that on children. Um, so I think that one of the big things to recognize is that gender and sexuality are two very different things. Um, and also to recognize that we do push these things on children when they're young. Um, we push their gender stereotypes on them when they're young based on their assigned birth. Uh, gender. And um, we also push their sexuality on them, you know, you know, a little girl and a little boy are hugging and we think, oh, that's so cute. Look, they're going to get married. Um, You know, so we do that from a sort of heteronormative standpoint. But anytime it's brought up outside of that realm, um, there seems to be a big uproar. Uh, So, you know, I think for for parents, it's really just about allowing your children to express themselves in any way, you know, um, a little boy wearing a dress is not going to hurt him or anybody else. Uh, you know, it allows children to express themselves and um, to figure out who they are um, through this expression and, and trial and error and, and rather than them, you know, sort of uh, suppressing it and having to do it when they're older, which is a lot of the cases that I see is um, adults who have, you know, had no exposure to this or it was they were taught that it was wrong and now they're they're really struggling with their identity as, as adults. So what do you say another concern um, some might have in this kind of scenario is, well, they're going to go to school and they're going to go out in the neighborhood and they're going to get made fun of, so I'm protecting them from the ridicule. Uh, I mean, I, it sounds to me like that person is the one that's, you know, it's it's almost like adults make things a little more complicated than they need to be. Um, but in this case, that is a concern that pops up a lot. And, and what would you say if a parent came to you with that concern? Sure. And I, and I understand that. And, and most of the time when I deal with teens and, and their parents, um, teens who are coming out as trans or gay or, or whatever, um, it, it is a concern. And, and I get that parents care about their children and they don't want them to have a hard life. You know, um, I hear things like, you know, it would be easier if my kid was straight. Yeah, it would, right. um, but they're not, right? So um, it's not going to be easier for them to pretend that they're not. Um, so I think making kids aware of, of things that could happen, you know, that they could be made fun of and allowing them to make those choices, you know, to an extent. Um, the reality is that, that kids and adults get ridiculed and made fun of for a wide variety of things. Um, and it's, it's not limited to how they dress or how they identify gender-wise or sexuality-wise. So to make that, you know, that thing just about this is, is kind of ridiculous because, you know, kids get made fun of for wearing glasses. So right. should they not wear their glasses? Um, should they be forced to wear contacts at a young age? You know, things like that. So we really have to just kind of reframe that in the sense of like, you know, it, the world is the way it is. But the more we hide those things, 
the worse it's going to get, right? We have mm-hmm. to change how society sees these things. Um, I saw a comment online that, um, you know, adult drag is very sexualized. You know, sure, it can be because they're in adult situations. Um, but the drag that these children are doing doesn't have to be, right? It's, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. The society, the way we see these things, it doesn't have to be this way. But the more that we hide it and make people feel shameful of it, the worse that it's going to be and the worse people are going to want to ridicule others for it. Jennifer Thompson is with us, registered psychotherapist with uh, Roots in Wellness right here in Hamilton, actually close by to where we are with our uh, radio station here on uh, on Aberdeen. And you mentioned the support of parents. Now, when you're weighing things, and it could be difficult for a child in terms of ridicule if they're into drag, how important is it, though, maybe the most important, that, that you have a parent that supports you? I mean, th- does that go further than in kind of outweigh some of the negatives? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about, about anything, even outside of um, sexuality, gender, and these kind of things, if, if you're going to get ridicule from other people, the last thing that you need is ridicule inside your home and to feel that shame. So, you know, a lot of the work that I do with my clients in session and also with parents is around, you know, acceptance and validation. You don't have to understand why. That's not the point. We don't need everybody to understand why. Um, You just need to be okay with it and say, you know what, whatever you want to do and and I'll support you and, and validate the feelings that they're having because making them feel shameful for it is not going to make it go away. It's just going to make them feel shame. Now they have, you know, all of these concerns plus shame. So, um, you know, support from parents and friends and family is invaluable. Uh, and it will really help these kids thrive because, you know, if they come home from a hard day at school where maybe they have been ridiculed, their parents are there to support them rather than coming home to a parent who's saying, I told you so, you shouldn't have done that. And do you come across a lot of cases where a parent might try to get it out of them, like, change them by putting them into a sport and hoping that they grow out of it. Uh, I mean, is that ever even effective? Um, Typically, by the time um, I'm seeing the clients, the parents are there helping support them, and that's why they've brought them to me. Um, I have heard of parents doing things like that in the past or wondering if something in the past had, you know, quote-unquote, made them gay or made them trans. Um, And anything I've seen, it just simply isn't the case. As I said, I see a lot of adults as well, um, trans, gay, bisexual, lesbian adults, um, who have been identifying as something they are not for such a long time because of parents or friends or family, and sometimes just because they weren't really sure, right? They didn't Mm. have have the freedom to express and, and sort of explore. So um, it'll eventually come out in my experience um, and it can cause a lot of heartache and pain throughout the years of people really struggling with their identity and, you know, really not loving themselves um, the way that they should be because they're not comfortable in their bodies and, and they're not comfortable with the way that they're sort of being forced to express themselves. Well, a lot of the negativity is out of ignorance because, and it, I, you know, to a point it's understandable in the sense that um, we're ignorant to it because it's, it's a very complicated, you know, whether it's um, drag or trans or gay or bi, it's people say, Oh, there's too many letters in the LGBTQ. Well, because there are so many, it's a very diverse community being dragged doesn't mean they're gay or mean they're trans. Drag is its own thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's, um, you know, lots of 
straight men who do drag. Um, it's, it is its own thing. If you do drag, it doesn't mean you're trans. Um, you know, just like anything else, you know, just it's a way to express yourself. Um, yeah, you, you could just be into the costume and, and, the, and the pageantry yeah. of it, right? For sure. And I think as, as our society becomes more accepting, it will become a lot more common. Um, you know, it's also a really fun thing to do, right? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's dancing and it's dressing up and, you know, you can feel good about yourself. You can kind of, you know, play around with how you look. It's, it's exciting and fun. Yeah. And, and I, I've, I've said this, I, I, as a straight man, I really enjoy going to drag shows myself. I, I've mentioned them so many times now. I hope they're they're paying me for these plugs. But I've seen the, the I've seen the Spice Queens once, and I'm going again. And I really enjoyed the uh, the Spice Girls drag show. But it's it's yeah, it, I'm I'm there, and I'm not even again. It's not. It just doesn't even enter my mind. I'm looking at it as a show, and I'm sure the people who are involved in drag are looking at it as a performance. Yes, it's it's a form of entertainment, and and I've been to some drag shows too, and and they are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 truthfully, they feel like safe places, right? People are so accepting, and and it's just you yeah. know you just kind of get this feeling of love, and um, you know everyone's just people there. Yeah, it's absolutely. Really refreshing. Yeah, uh, that's the part I enjoy too. A uh, couple minutes here. Let me ask you though, because th- this must be. I think this is the most complicated. Um, question when it comes to the LGBTQ2 community and, and children that are starting to have certain feelings that they think maybe aren't normal. What are some of the earliest ages when it comes to, and let's go to trans specifically, because I feel like that's come up a lot in the last couple of years, because it's very difficult to understand unless you are in that experience. What are some of the earlier ages that, that children start feeling like they, they might not be the gender that, that they're assigned, quote unquote? Truthfully, it's different for everybody, and I think that's partially dependent on how strict parents are in terms of pushing children towards sort of gender norms Mm. at at a young age. Um, Most commonly, and when it really tends to come out from what I've seen, is during puberty, um, because you start to develop secondary sex characteristics, which don't fit in line with how you feel inside, right? Before puberty, um, children don't always think of themselves as, as a girl or a boy like we, really we, there isn't much differentiation we look the same right with clothing mm-hmm. on and right um so puberty is typically when it really starts to come out and really starts to become obvious for um a lot of kids some kids notice things much earlier on um i think it depends on personality wise you know how sort of intuitive they are and and just you know what they're exposed to so how far should the support go and and we got like a minute here but i I really want to get to this point um if your kid says i don't feel like i'm a boy or don't feel like i'm a girl how far should the parent go in that support are they too young to start with some of the, the the medical procedures like how far should that support go well, so quickly, I'll just tell you that, um, you know, there's, of course, hormones, but there are hormone blockers, which allow children to sort of um, delay puberty, mm-hmm. um, which can be helpful in terms of, you know, if you're not comfortable putting your children on drugs uh, when they're young, um, it, it's an option that's kind of in the middle, but doesn't cause them to have to go through a puberty they don't want to go through. Because right. um, it, sh- it should be taken into account that they are young, but I don't think they're their feelings should be completely discounted. At the end of the day, you know, if you're a parent and you're not sure, just reach out. Um, I I see 
clients all the time, but I also do lots of consult calls where people just call and ask for information and, and I'll provide it and um, I can provide direction and um, uh, my business partner, Kayleen at Roots and Wellness can do the same. So um, there's, there are resources out there and there's help out there. You don't have to have all the answers. Rootsinwellness.ca, uh, as I said before, a fantastic organization. Uh, Jennifer Thompson, registered psychotherapist. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And there it is, rootsandwellness.ca. If you're having those questions and if you have more and they didn't get answered, you can uh, go to their website. They're located right here in Hamilton. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.